Welcome to Musicians Versus the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am your host, Christine Smith. And today we are talking with Carlos Baker, who is sharing his story of overcoming childhood cancer and using creativity through becoming a songwriter and an author to deal with the emotional aftermath. Well, maybe I'll be gone. Won't be walking through that door. Songwriter, bass player, and author Carlos Baker is an American-born musician who moved to northern Germany in 2009. In 2020, he penned the novel Songs for Ivy, which is available on Amazon. Carlos has written over 50 songs ranging from country to ballads to rock and blues. He writes songs that are filled with raw emotion, many of which deal with his personal experiences and struggles with depression. But above all, Carlos is most proud of the four children that he and his wife have raised. So Carlos Baker, it is so wonderful to see you, and thank you so much for being here, and welcome to Musicians versus the World. Oh my, thank you for having me. It's awesome. I can't wait to hear about your story and about your music. I know that you have used your music to process a lot of your life events and how music and your life are so deeply intertwined, and I just can't wait to hear what you have to say. So let's start from the beginning. Have you always known you've wanted to be a musician, or is that something that developed later in life? Um, I definitely always, music was always in our lives. Uh, my, you know, my mom always made sure that music was in my brother and I's life, uh, whether it be, you know, all the lessons as kids. And then in kind of in high school, I, I found some connection with bass, um, enough to, to kind of play in crappy bands and, you know, uh, screw around, but really the, the, living kind of the life of a real live artist slash musician uh started in my mid-30s so i'm super late bloomer man you know <laughs> like uh, i'm 49 now so um i think uh life for me has unfolded in in kind of um i always lived like a free you know for lack of a better term kind of have that free spirit type of uh approach to life and it wasn't really until i I fell into these these dark depressions in my mid fifties, uh, in my mid thirties, that music really became a a major part of my life. Uh, specifically, the writing. I think the writing of um, the lyrics and the songs that were kind of showing themselves uh, was a huge part of of my getting through those dark times, because I do feel like so much so much of it was like, oh, I, I have a handful of songs now. I guess I'm. A songwriter up until this point i've never sat down and been like i'm gonna write a song about um this topic i'm always listening and aware of anything wants to come out and uh if it comes out i'm always ready to capture it that's the best part when yeah, you yeah. when you're lucky enough to capture a song that wants to come out there's nothing better for me man yeah so it was your mid-30s you said when the songwriting really like became part of you is there a moment where it just started? Like, was there a, a moment in time where you're like, I'm going to try songwriting to to get some of my thoughts out? Or what What was that? How, how did I that don't happen? I think so. Um, so going back a little bit, when I was a kid, I had cancer. So when I was 12 oh. years old, up until 12, I was like a normal 12-year-old boy, came from a really nice family. We lived on a farm. Uh, so we had a very, you know, kind of a beautiful childhood where we had all the motorcycles and the toys and all that. Um, I had been complaining to my family that my the, the uh, circulation in my left foot was like pins and needles very often. 
So that probably for six months. And finally, my, my pops and I went into a walk-in clinic in East Providence, Rhode Island. And the doctor took a look at my knee and he's like, yeah, it looks a little swollen. We'll take an x-ray. And he did take an x-ray. Uh, and when he walked into the room, even as a 12-year-old, I vividly remember, even as a 12-year-old, I knew something was wrong because his energy had changed so dramatically. And he was like, well, you know, there's something in there. We're going to send you, uh, you know, I just called a colleague at, at the uh, hospital in Rhode Island. I'm going to send you over there to, to take some more pictures. Ultimately, after we had ran into him months later, he knew it was something called osteogenic sarcoma, so a bone cancer that, uh, rare bone cancer that generally uh, happens to kids in their teenagers, in their teenage years. And, uh, and from there began this insane two-year fight for my life against cancer. So wow. um, it started in my, in my knee, went to both my lungs, uh, chemotherapy, surgery, chances of survival, 0%. And for whatever reason, ultimately, I, I lived, you know, who knows oh why, but I was one of the lucky ones that had 0% chance of survival and I lived. And ultimately, yeah, to me, by the way, this is, this, this story is so non-emotional to me because I, it's, yeah, it was 40 years ago and whatever. Yeah. 40 years ago. And, um, and I've told it so many times. But I, I, I'm aware that it's always kind of shocking when I first. <laughs> but yeah. Um, they tried to save my left leg for a couple of years, even when I was in remission. Ultimately, uh, we made the decision to amputate it to the middle of my thigh. So I have about 19 inches of femur bone. So I've lived that way for 30, you know, 30 plus years as an amputee. Um, and kind of my way of dealing with it was just pretending like I just pretending like I was a normal guy. I, I just didn't really interact with the world as a handicapped dude. Just lived like normal guy. Didn't talk about it. You know, right. maybe typical. You know, and that worked for me through through my entire life. You know, but the the way I dealt with it was not taking anything serious. So. I wasn't, didn't do well in high school. I went to college and I graduated, but I didn't really take college seriously. And then post-college, I was just working at like coffee shops and just at no point was I ready to kind of, you know, take life seriously, you know? Yeah. Until I got married and had a bunch of kids. And <laughs> then I went to work for um, family business and uh, bought a house and had a mortgage and, uh, and although I was relatively content, um, it, it just overwhelmed my senses. You know, I, I've done, obviously I've done a tremendous amount of work to understand this time in my life or that time in my life, but ultimately my brain just got overwhelmed and I, it shut down and I could no longer function. You know? Well, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I can't imagine because that's what normal people do, but, um, in my case, you know, I couldn't handle it. Um, so I went into this insane, you know, not able to function a uh, couple of years of my life. So ultimately, my wife and I decided to move to the little village where she was born and raised in northern Germany. Mm. And uh, we threw our all everything we owned in our container 
and our three kids, seven, six, and four, we moved to this little village and kind of started over, which, which I think is probably the best thing I could have ever done because it, it gave me some sort of a new lease on life. Once I went to work and had kids, I just put all my music equipment in the basement. Now I was like, I'm not a musician. I would even say it out loud. I'd be like, those days are over, man. I'm, I don't sing anymore. I don't, you know, that's it. And when we were packing all our stuff, I was going to sell my, uh, I have a beautiful mid fifties K, uh, K bass, uh, upright bass that I've had all my, all my life. And, uh, she's a, she's beautiful. And, uh, I was going to sell it. It was like worth 1500 bucks. And at that point there was a few, you know, it, it helped. Yeah. I, and my wife, she's like, no, bring it to Germany. And I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm not going to play. And she's like, bring it to Germany. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll make time for it. So I, we did pack it up. And as soon as we landed in Germany and I unpacked my stuff, I started playing again. And, uh, I, and I, I swear from that day, day one, I never put my face, uh, down. I immediately became a musician again. Like it was, or, or maybe not even a musician. I immediately started interacting with the world as an artist. It, very okay. strange. You know, I, I immediately started wanting to write more. I don't know how much experience you have with depression, but in, in my case, there's the depression and then there's the post depression. Once you've got on some meds and found some sort of a, uh, you know, neutral space again, then there's the emotions you have to deal with. And for me, the emotion was shame. It's like, okay, why did oh. I, why couldn't I handle life? I, and and I, I think this ultimately answers the first question is that's when the writing was directly um, kind of helping me process that stuff because the the songs and the, the um, lyrics that were coming out were all quite dark. They were mm -hmm. all speaking to the, the monster uh, or, or I always thought of the anxiety and depression as a monster kind of inside you mm -hmm. um and i think that's what where the lyrics were really helping me i didn't know it right i didn't know it at the time but when they came out there was there was value to them for me turn against my friends and all my loved ones too can't go on like this no more. Your time here is through. And that went on for years where I was not necessarily doing much with the with the songs. I, I knew they were happening, but it was it was rather intuitive. I, I wasn't kind of intentionally being like, oh, that's cool. I have a album's worth of tunes now. That took a minute to just to create the uh, the confidence to go to other musicians and be like, oh, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Like I have, mm -hmm. I have some songs you want to play through it. And, and I do remember, um, the moment that I brought my first song to a, a wonderful, wonderful musician who's, who's been with me from, for over a decade now. And I, we were practicing for like a crappy, you know, party gig, like cover gig. And I was like, he's German, you know? Mm -hmm. Our relationship is he speaks 100% in German. I speak in English because I understand German after 14 years. Mm -hmm. And that's how we interact. So I was like, um, I had this tune, you know, you, you want to check it out? It was just the two of us. And uh, he's like, sure. And I played it through him. And 
I played it for him and we, we kind of worked through it. And he's like, and just his reaction was so great. You know, like he was like, so you wrote the song? And I'm like, yeah, and I got a bunch of songs. And he's like, okay, you know, you like, and then I'm like, oh, maybe there's value to this. You know what I mean? There was a moment, and he and I talk about it still to this day. I love him very much. His name is Christoph von Storch. And uh, he gets a kick out of that that memory too, because it was, it's probably our favorite song to play on on uh, on stage. And, uh, and it's a smart, you know, it's a smart song. It's called Two Bad Bricks, and it talks about that, basically, you know, this concept of winding the tear down a wall and at some point recognizing that our flaws are who we are, man. You know, that's, that's, I, I feel like I only have flaws someday, but. It, <laughs> Don't it, we all? Yeah, but it makes me who I am. What do you think it is about music that was so cathartic? Like how, why do you think it was music that became your medium to process all of these kind of pent up emotions? I, I think you mentioned in the intro, I, I did, I did write a book that mm -hmm. I'm super, super proud of. And, um, the, the question was, why did I choose uh, music to help get through my kind of emotional issues? I don't think it was just music and just lyrics. I think it was maybe being, the reality is I'm not a regular guy. So I think when I moved to Germany and and started thinking and, and acting like an artist, you know, kind of start, started thinking of myself as like an artist. It made me feel so comfortable. Like that space was so comfortable for me. I was like, yeah, that's, I can be an artist, you know? So mm -hmm. I think that, that general thought process made the lyrics and the writing and the sharing, it, it made me happy, you know, or, or if not happy, it, it brought me some sort of contentness that I hadn't felt um, or that I wanted to feel again, maybe as mm -hmm. probably had felt that when I was a kid, but that I, that I missed because of those years of, of being in such turmoil, you know, that inner, what's worse than inner turmoil. Yeah. So your creative process is very much like a free flowing type of process, regardless of if it's music or writing or. It's definitely, and, and you know, I'm sure you know better than anyone is what, if you choose to be, if you choose to be an artist, what we need more than anything is time, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have time to to let that stuff happen, and if you don't have time to be listening for stuff, right? Because I find I'm, right now I've been in Chicago for seven weeks working a regular job, having having a time in my life, working hard all day every day. But I I have written a handful of lyrics, and normally as soon as lyrics would happen. The melody generally comes with it and I'm immediately, I'm like, you know, I'm attacking, you know, trying to find it. And I, I've been here for several weeks and I, there's just no time, you know? So right. I think that's also the, the fact that we moved, the fact that I didn't have any, you know, I didn't know the language in, in Germany at the time. I was also in a place where I was trying to find myself. It all brought me to this very beautiful, cathartic place of creativity. And I'm, I'm a bit of a monk, man. Yeah. <laughs> Your own hermitage, if you will. That's right. That's great. I, I love that, that you found so much 
found so much freedom and able to express yourself through all of that. So you said you're in Chicago now. What is next for you? You've got a band, CK Baker Band, right? What are your next things? I put a little money to to a project to make a, an album. And we did it kind of the way I think most, maybe most albums are made nowadays where um, everyone was going to, all the all my buddies from from Germany, the musicians that I know, where we were all doing our creating our parts in our little home studios. Right. I used a gentleman in um, Nashville uh, that I just kind of seeked out and listened to some of the stuff he did, and I liked it. He he put it together, mixed it, and and um, mastered it, and all that stuff. And the project is cool. It's you know it was called uh, Walk Alone, and it's you know it's a decent album. But to me, it sounds a little bit kind of disconnected, you know. Oh, okay. Just not not as um, not as pure as I would have liked it. But but it's my you know my album. It's my my lyrics. It's my songs. Me singing them. So I love it. But I did want to experience working with a real producer. I wanted to know what it was like, you know. None of it with the ultimate goal of becoming famous and making a million bucks. Just I wanted the experience. And I looked around and found this this gentleman named is Brian Deck. He's mm-hmm. um, a little bit older, kind of towards the, I think he'd be okay with me saying this, kind of towards the end of his career. So a white-haired gentleman. And uh, he's worked with some, you know, he's a real guy. He's worked with the Counting Crows and he worked with Sam from um, Iron and Wine. And so, you know, he's a he's a real dude, mm-hmm. but he's a little bit older and, and I reached out to him. And he, uh, we kind of hit it off. This I was in Germany at the time. We hit it off via video call, and he and he agreed to take me on, which was so cool because he he's he's such an honest guy. Like I was like, so when he agreed, I was like, Brian, you know, do you usually work with you know guys like me that don't really you know don't have a name, stuff like that? And he was like, Carlos, the Counting Crows make an album once every decade. I make a living off guys like you. So, and, but I, I kind he set the tone early to say. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything with you, man. Right. You know, which which is great, right? So um, ultimately, I moved here last year, right at the beginning of the year, and he and I worked for six months together. We became very close, uh, very fatherly relationship. Um, and and I don't I don't know that I knew. I don't know if anyone knows because maybe everyone's different. But I wasn't sure what the producer's role was going to be. So that was part of the excitement for me to see how mm-hmm. it all unfolds and and um i was not disappointed man the process from from day one of of kind of the pre-production process and in the way he looked at my songs and the the trust that i had to give him to to you know kind of tear apart my lyrics which maybe is the hardest part right yeah but from day one the the little you know the the lessons, like so the day I got there, I, so I don't play a corded instrument. I can fake my way around guitar, but I can't. I'm not a high level guitar player. So I literally write my songs on bass, which is mm-hmm. very, very odd, right? So I'll play a bass line with the melody and the lyrics. Mm-hmm. When I showed up at his place, that just that, he was just like, well, this is the first time in my career that I've done this. This is interesting, you know? <laughs> and uh, so we sit down and, and this song, Ill Prepared, which is one of the first songs I've ever written and maybe the song that I love the most of all my of all my songs. So that was the one I chose to work on first. And he immediately starts kind of like crossing out like lines and, and jotting things in the in the uh, 
you know. In the margins, yeah. And the margins. And, it, and I'm like, oh my God, what have I got myself into, you know? You know, it was good you had written that book and have already learned how to deal with an editor. Probably softened that a little bit. Yeah, but this was so different. I was like, no, not that <laughs> word. That word is the... So, so he, he was doing this. And then at the end of that session, we were doing like four hour pre-production session. And at the end of that one, he's like, okay, let me explain to you, you know, let me explain what we just did today. And he was like, so there's, and then he kind of went into this thing of there's the song melody and then there's the syllabic melody. And, mm -hmm. and he was quick, quick to see, he's like, you're, you're jamming too much into your lines. You're putting too much into these statements and the listener is going to have so he had his take on the syllables that I, I had generally created. So he's like, so what I did here when I crossed out these words and jotted in these other words, these are just filler words. So these are the amount of syllables I think you need to, to use to, to find different ways to express yourself. And then this was the statement that he made day one. He's like, just remember, I'm not a songwriter. I don't have that talent. That's you're the songwriter. I'm just telling you what I what I have learned over my career uh, on this specific issue. And and for for a guy, for a guy that has a thing, he's done it. He's been there. He's had success. Mm -hmm. For him to say you have something that I don't have, and now you have to use that in order to that's your homework. Like that was day one. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. He. He just told me that I maybe have that little glimmer of, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I think I can do this, you know? Yeah. So, you know, for me, those lessons were as important as anything. And there was a bunch of those, you know, when I would, I often make statements like, well, I'm not a real musician. I'm a bass player. And then he'd, you know, he'd yell at me. He'd be like, dude, you know, you're, you just came here with all these wonderful songs and they're, you know, and he would just kind of put me in my place to say, don't say stuff like that. And yeah. I needed that, man. I needed someone other than my friends and family to tell me, uh, you got to change a little. And, and mm -hmm. um, But we had so much fun. The pre-production process was intense. And he insisted that we, uh, you know, from a cost standpoint, an expense standpoint, that until we're done with that pre-production process, we're not going to go into the studio. He really... Right big on that, that the songs have to be ready. And it was expensive. It was an expensive experience. I, I did raise some money from family. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, when we got into the studio, so, so basically I would take all the stuff that we'd go through in these four-hour sessions. Then I'd go home in my, uh, to this apartment that I was living in with my little home studio, and I'd create demos with those changes, right? Whether it be chord changes or um, on Cubase. And, and again, I didn't I'm not a guitar player or a piano player, but with Cubase, you can. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. With a mouse, you know. So after four months or something, three months, we had 10 um, finished demos that were done. And we were going to create the songs that sounded just like this as far as shape, right? So I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm stating the obvious for your listeners that, yeah, this is what producers do. But for me... I didn't know exactly what he was going to do. And maybe all producers are different, but he was so, he was as much psychiatrist and psychologist as he was, <laughs> um, you know, music producer to me. I, I do yeah. feel like that, you know, he, and he was also tough. Like he, 
he'd like yell at me. You know, I was like, I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. you know, like he'd be like trying to work something out. He's like, can you effing shut up? I'm trying to figure, you know, I'm like, which again, I love. I'm like, bring it, man. Bring that passion. I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, when we did, ultimately when he brought his guys in, his studio guys, which of course was incredibly nerve wracking for me because they of were, course. I was the guy in the room that was going to tell them or something. And uh, even, I even brought a bass player. I even made the decision that I wanted a studio bass player to interpret what we were trying to make. That was a wow. Yeah, which is weird, right? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, it was important for me because I have my bass playing style, but it's limited in its own way. And I oh, want okay. to hear what a real. I just wanted to hear what it sounded like in a in a place where it's super fresh. And we did it the old way where. Um, everyone was in one room, everyone was mic'd in separate rooms. And I was, um, I just had headphones and was singing in the same room. So, uh, that those five days of tracking were so cool. And, and listening to, um, Brian speak to his, his guys in a language that I couldn't follow. So in a language of real, really producer speaking to studio musicians, about, you know, the album, the 76th album from Ziggy Stardust, third track, you know, how so-and-so did that. These conversations they were having were so great. You know, we, I was just like, man, this is, this is worth my money or just this. Yeah. Like a masterclass in this and producing and. Yeah. And nothing I could ever, at, at my age, nothing I could ever learn, right? They, they, they can have this conversation because they've been doing it for 40 years. Right. And not to say I don't want to learn that it's it's a it's a different skill, but um, but beautiful to watch. And and then we'd go in, you know, we'd be like, okay, let's go. You know, we'd listen to my demo, and then we we'd go in and and uh, just listening to these guys, you know, whatever was going on in their heads, their the ideas that they come up with, and um, kind of one take after another, finding it, kind of you know, Brian pushing them in in a certain direction or. And and one song of all the songs, uh, the song "Ill Prepared," the one I mentioned, we got that in one take. They had never seen the chord changes. You know, it's a, not a super complex tune, but we played it. It was so pure and so perfect. Brian over the over the speaker was like, "What do you think, guys?" And we all kind of looked at each other, and the guitarist was like, "Well, it's not going to get better than that. We could we can do another take if you want." And I was like, "No." No, this this is the story. The story is that was the first take, and um, you know, I obviously that was a dummy vocals. Ultimately, I I did vocals over them, and then we added some some synth after. But that song is as personal as it was always to me. The fact that I listen to our album now, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's the one. You know, <laughs> I love that stuff, man. I live for those little things. You know, that mean oh. to me. Give my all and keep on giving. I give and I give, but the world takes it all for free. I give and I give, can't give no more and keep on. That's so great. I love your story. Thank you so much for sharing it. And like you just come full circle and you're this artist and you've been able to 
have your own solitude where you just had this creative output and then you get to work with these legends and learn from them. Like what an amazing, an amazing full life you're living. I just, I love it. As we finish up, do you have any last minute advice for other people who want to be musicians or want to tap into their creative outlet? What would you, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I would say, I think we touched on it is, is make the time for it. I often say to my friends, friends and family that say, how do you write songs? I'm like, put, put an hour aside alone in a room with a notebook yeah. and try, yeah. you know, it's not rocket science, man. And everyone's like, well, my, if I do that, my, uh, my lyrics all sound cheesy. I'm like, all lyrics sound cheesy. You just got to sell them. You know, it's, have you read my lyrics? You know, so I, I think, um, if you want to be a musician, if you, if you have any, you know, kind of idea that you have some talent in yet just make it happen man sit in a room put put stuff down three chords it's a starts there right yeah carlos this has been such a pleasure to chat with you and i i'm just so inspired by your story and by your tenacity and your creative output so just thank you so much for talking with me and spending the time thank you christine i appreciate it so much Thank you for joining us today on the Musicians versus the World podcast in our conversation with songwriter, musician, author, and amputee survivor, Carlos Baker. If you are interested in learning more about Carlos, reading his book, Songs for Ivy, or hearing more of his music, I will have a list of links for you in our show notes and on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. In today's episode, you've heard excerpts from Smile, Ill Prepared, and Born a New Man, Songs composed and performed by Carlos Baker. All music was shared here with permission. For this particular hard days, life lesson. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. You can also find a video version of this interview on our Musicians vs. the World YouTube channel. If you have any questions for us, topics you'd like to hear about, or any helpful advice for other musicians that you'd like to share, be sure to reach out to us on Instagram, threads, or Facebook, or send us an email at info at frostedlens.com. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. It all.